Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Pastor Lance. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbreed Church. Uh, I've noticed that we do have uh, a, a good number of family visiting with us today. Uh, I know we have family over here. Yes, yes. Uh, Chris, your mom is visiting. I heard those vocals and I had to look over. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed your vocals, ma'am. Uh, my uh, mother-in-law is here. Candace's mom is here. Sorry to put you on the spot, Gammy. But yeah, just want to point out family, and I know we got, uh, there might be some other visitors with us. Yeah, welcome, welcome. And so if you are visiting or your family from out of town, uh, we are going to pick up in the book of John. Uh, in the book of John, that's where we've been for the past month or so. And so John's gospel, and we've entitled this series, and it should be on the screen to my left right here, So That You May Believe. So that you may believe. Did I get that right, y'all? So that you may believe? Oh, thank you. Thank you. That you might believe. Okay, okay. Pastoral typo there. That you might believe. But, you know, you guys get the point. And so, Pastor Michael, our lead pastor, is out on a wedding uh, assignment. So he is with family uh, at a wedding. And so when he started this series, he opened us up with Don't Miss Jesus. Don't Miss Jesus was the first sermon we had in this series, and that was John chapter 1. And then we looked at Discipleship 101, 101, I'm sorry, Discipleship 101, and that's where Jesus calls the disciples. And then we looked at John the Baptist, and we looked at his testimony about Jesus. And then we looked at A Better Hope uh, with the wedding at Cana. And then last week, Pastor Mike walked us through Jesus coming to clean house at the temple, the lion and the lamb, the lion and the lamb. I get that right? 0 for 2, 0 for 2, 0 for 2, Shane. (laughs) The lamb and the lion. Yes, let's go with that. Let's go with the lamb and the lion. So this morning, I want to set us on a course as we begin to eavesdrop on two significant conversations that Jesus has with two different people, far from being similar, but they both meet Jesus and they both get a better understanding of what it means to have a life, right? Now, these two important conversations take place over these next two chapters. One is with Nicodemus, and the other one is with the Samaritan woman at the well. Both of these conversations remind us why John wrote the Gospel of John, that you might believe. John 20, verse 30, reads like this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, the Gospel of John, the accounts of the Gospel of John, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, by, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now that's a beautiful thing that we're reading a book that was written thousands of years ago, and we don't have to do guesswork on why it was written, who wrote it, and what was it about, because the Gospel of John tells you that we may believe in Jesus and that by believing we may have life in his name. That's why the Gospel of John was written. And so, in knowing why John wrote this book, we now come to examine these two narratives, one with um, 
Nicodemus and one with the woman at the well. And we can examine these a little bit sharper, right? With a little bit um, sharper scope. So, one is the long-standing uh, religious Christian, or in this case, the Jew, um, with religious experience, with church experience, uh, maybe even a degree or two, that being Nicodemus, right? Then there's the woman who is unworthy by every religious measure. Um, we have uh, her situation where she's not even ethnically supposed to be near Jesus, supposed to hear the things of God, and really she's not even in a place, um, gender in a gender way, where she's not even supposed to be uh, ceremonially right to receive the things of God. But something to remember, even though her ceremony is not befitting to her, even though she doesn't fit the church girl mold, even though her ethnicity is a little out of whack for the, for the Jesus people, um, I think we have to look at ourselves and come to a similar conclusion on both accounts, right? Some of us have been through the schools, got the education, got the degree, been to the homeschool group, still in the homeschool group. Some of us uh, go to Chick-fil-A in the minivan, and we just live in this, in this world where we think, man, everything on paper about my life says I know Jesus really closely. I know the things of God really closely. And then it's like some of us maybe uh, just a few days removed from 7th Street, Right? And I think that's okay. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the kingdom, right? The kingdom is not this, here's what you're supposed to look like. But Jesus is about to be like, so that you may believe. Right? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You could be the savvy veteran or you could be the lowly newcomer. But come on in. Come on in by his redemption, by his life, his death, his burial, his bodily resurrection, making a profession of faith in Jesus and being able to take hold of abundant life, eternal life. We must be born again, right? So today I'm tasked with exploring the idea of being born again in John chapter 3, where Nicodemus is having a conversation with Jesus. But, friends... I submit to you that this is more than just a conversation between two Jewish men. This is more than just a conversation between two respected teachers of the law. I submit to you this morning that this conversation that happens in time has massive eternal consequences. This conversation that happens on earth has heavenly implications. Jesus is ready to cultivate a people, not simply born of a nation, but a people born of heaven, of a new kingdom. Jesus is ready to cultivate a people, not simply born of a nation, that would be ethnic Israel, but born of heaven in a new kingdom. Let's look at the text this morning. If you would please stand. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And I'm reading from the CSB. But whatever translation you have is fine. Okay. 
There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, even as we enter into this conversation that happened years ago, we know that the implications are for the here and now and for the rest of eternity. And so, Father, wherever we see ourselves, whether it's a, a new convert, a curious uh, onlooker, or seasoned saint, Father, we know that we need life in Christ. We need to be born again, born of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I was at work this week, and I don't know how you feel about personality profiles, but my official position, and I can't speak for the other pastors, is that... Um, they're helpful, but they don't define you. Yeah, so I'm going to just put it out there, and maybe somebody's going to be mad at me, but the Enneagram, right? So I'm a two, and my wife sent me a profile on the two in the Enneagram, and I read it, and I was like, wow, that's really close to how I feel and process things. And so uh, my wife responded by saying, it's like they're trying to come for us. Uh, because I believe her Enneagram was kind of spot on, you know. Uh, mine was too, right? And so 
Um, I'm not trying to put a plug in for personality tests. I'm just giving you my story. Uh, but I am saying that there is a certain fascination that we might have when something is able to read us really well. When a person or maybe uh, a data programming system uh, can take information that we give out and then reflect it accurately and so reflect it even to the point of like, hey, not only do I hear what you're saying, but I see where you're going and I see based off your previous experiences where you possibly could go. Like, um, maybe in more layman's terms, um, the way that wives wish their husband would listen. My bad, y'all. Just, 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 just tell me later. Just tell me later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, even, but even as men, though, know, like, we like when somebody gets us. We like when somebody gets the point that we're trying to make and can even kind of relate to us, what we're trying to communicate communicate this. We've all said in conversation, yeah, right, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you too? You too? I love that feeling. You too? Right? You know, I can relate to that, so forth and so on. We enjoy being recognized and aligned with, right? So as we approach these next two conversations in the Gospel of John, don't forget what we've seen so far. I'm going to make a point with this. Don't forget what we've seen so far in the Gospel of John. In John 1, verse 42, when Jesus saw Simon Peter, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, right? So he's pretty much telling Peter, Look, I know who you are today. I know your habits and characteristics and qualities today, but I have a whole life plan for you that involves furthering my kingdom later, right? You go from like pebble to stone in that Greek, right? And then we got John 1, 47 through 48. We, we talked about this. Jesus saw my man Nathaniel sitting under that fig tree. He said, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Right? Right? And then last week, Pastor Mike talked about John chapter 2, verses 23. Um, through 25, um, and he talks about uh, the passage where Jesus knows what's going on, right? Because he is the, the living word. He's eternal, right? And it says this, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So if we like personality tests, so if we like people, like a good counselor or a good friend with a, with a keen listening ear, then we kind of need to like Jesus because he kind of knows what's going down before we tell him. And that's what's about to happen with Nicodemus and the woman at the well. These are haymakers for me, those passages I just read, because when I'm sitting by myself and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know how to form this next sentence. He's like, nah, I already read the sentence in your mind, and I know what I'm going to do with that. And I know where it should go. This isn't uh, Miss Cleo getting over on people. 
nah, nah. This isn't fortune cookie wisdom. This is better than your uh, average personality assessment. This is Jesus demonstrating his divine omniscient knowledge. This is the Son of God being expressed. God being expressed in Jesus lived out in the person of Jesus that expresses the full person of God. This is what we have to look forward to for the rest of the book of John. I just sold you the book of John the best I could. That's what's going to happen for the rest of the book. Jesus is going to show up and he's going to be like, man, I already know what's happening. Need I enter Martha and Mary? Yeah, I already know he died. I already know. But I still took my time because I'm Lord over life and death. Right? Like that. So this is just going to happen, right? Just, just accept it. Jesus already knows what's happening. Right? 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 That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And in the meantime, Jesus knows not only the answers to these individuals' life scenarios, he knows the answers to your spiritual questions as well. And he's about to do that with Nicodemus. He's about to do that with Nicodemus, right? There was a man from the Pharisees. I'm, I'm re-racking the text right quick. Verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. There is no question in there. He's just saying, I'm, I'm just talking, like, I saw you, like, my people kind of see you. We all see what you're doing because we just read like Jesus is showing up doing stuff, right? We just read that, right? Um, and people are taking notice. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't even say, yeah, appreciate you. No, he just goes straight to the truth. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it was everyone born of the spirit. And so I got three observations this morning, and this is my first one. My first observation, God is looking for a spiritual, God is looking for a spiritual birth, not a religious experience. God is looking for a spiritual birth, not a religious experience. So good old Nicodemus, as we just read, a Pharisee, verse one, tells us, and so we need to know a little bit about why did John put Pharisee in here? That's important because some translate Pharisee separate ones. Uh, you might even say that these men were set apart because of their outward desire to keep the law of God. Uh, they were religious folk. That's just, that's the best way I can translate that. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is... Um, the, the most religious person you can think of, to the letter of the law. 
Um, if you're doing something out of, out of line or um, if you're not praying uh, the way you should be or if you're doing anything that doesn't uh, look holy and religious, uh, then they want no parts of you. Um, maybe y'all got cousins that way. I don't know. But uh, they're highly concerned with cleaning the outside of the cup, with being religiously clean, ceremonially clean. They want to keep the law. They're all about being pure, um, dare I say, ceremonially correct. Right? Can I say it that way? Ceremonially correct. Um, but the problem is um, that's not exactly how Jesus wants to do ministry. Right? So in Matthew 3, 7, if you go to Matthew, uh, the other gospel, it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from, coming, from the coming wrath? Right? Um, so Jesus, if you track with the gospels and track with the book of John, you're going to see, like, Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees is not a good one. Right? So this is kind of a big deal early on in this book. Last week, Pastor Mike looked, looked at the cleansing of the temple. Uh, the Pharisees would have been a part of that cleansing of the temple. They were doing the holiness tax. Why don't you pay a little extra so, so we can switch out your pigeons for the right pigeons we got, and then your sins would be forgiven. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. So that's not, that's not what Jesus came to do, to take people's money so they could be made right in the eyes of God. No, no. Actually, he, he, he didn't need their money. He gave his life, right? And so that was just a jab at the Pharisees. So Jesus was already kind of stirring the pot, right? Um, he's doing things on several occasions that are at odds with these people. So as Jesus' ministry continues, he's going to have numerous run-ins with the Pharisees. Um, just a few examples. Uh, when he healed the man with the withered hand, they were kind of upset about that. When the woman anointed Jesus' feet with her hair in oil, they were upset about that. Uh, when he forgave the woman caught in adultery and wrote some stuff in the dirt, right? Um, they was mad about that. Um, here we go. And then the thing that they were most mad about um, was, was, was a great picture that's going to happen later. I'm, not, I'm hoping Pastor Michael will be back to preach that one because I just want to listen at that point. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, that was kind of like the, uh, man, you didn't did it now. Mm-mm. Now we, now, now, now. You didn't did a bunch of stuff. You didn't like forgave people of sin. You didn't like open people's eyes. You didn't make lame people walk. You didn't touch lepers. You didn't ate with sinners. But you didn't raise this man from dead. You evil, bro. So like they, they pretty much, it goes like this. Take, don't take my word for it. John 11, verse 43 to 56, is this. Um, they're plotting to arrest him during Passover, right? Um, these were men that went to the Roman soldiers and said, no, we need to arrest him and kill him. John 18, 3. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So this is when... Uh, um, Judas betrays Jesus, right? They don't come. They came for a pastor with like lanterns, torches, and, and weapons, right? So just, just think about that. These were religious men uh, who were actually working a little bit too hard uh, during the past. They, they shouldn't have did this in the first place. But I say all that to say that's the, the group of people that Nicodemus is coming from. So just, I'm just kind of setting the stage here. Um, that's the group of people that Nicodemus is coming from. So um, what am I getting at? And what is that all about? Jesus' ministry 
and what he thought was proper worship and religion um, was to the broken, was to the sick people. The Pharisees, they wanted to be right and clean, but Jesus was like, no, nah, I'm going to be busted and broke, and I'm going to heal people there. These men thought they were set apart for God's purposes, but Jesus is like, no, I am God, right? These people missed Jesus altogether, culminating with his own crucifixion, right? So enter Nicodemus at night. Some scholars say that Nicodemus coming at night is more than just Nicodemus um, not wanting to be seen talking to the possible enemy away from his friends uh, at the seminary, right? No, I won't say that. Uh, but no, he's probably got boys who are like, yeah, I don't know about that, Jesus. But some of the Nicodemus is like, yeah, but he's doing all these things, so I kind of want to know, right? Uh, and we got friends like that, like, I see what you're getting at, but I'm not sure how to go about it, but I don't know how to go about it. That's why we got friends in Family Sunday, right? Right? Because we got friends like that, right? And so they think he's coming to Jesus at night because he don't want to be seen uh, talking to Jesus with his buddies because then that could be problematic for him and his work, right? Uh, but also you might look at night as like a lack of knowledge, right? A lack of knowledge. Jesus, um, remember, these are two conversations happening back to back. He goes to the one, he goes to, Nicodemus comes to him at night, but the, he meets the woman at the well in the middle of the day, right? And they're in two different circumstances, right? And he further explains to her, like, no, that Messiah you ain't know, I am he. Nicodemus ain't even get all that. Like, Nicodemus didn't even think about that. Nicodemus would have had the whole law, the whole canon, right? Uh, well, not the whole canon, but the canon that they had. He would have had it, right? And Jesus even says, like, you should know these things, bro. And this woman who had no business reading her Bible back then, like, gets all of Jesus exposed, like, I'm him, right? And so I feel like I'm too hype up here, y'all. I'm going to reel it in. I'm going to reel it in. <laughs> so Nicodemus comes at night. And he's like, man, something different about you. You must be from God. Um, but as we already talked about this morning, Jesus can answer the question that you haven't even asked, right? And so Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus looked right at the patriarch of religiosity and says, let me get you straight, bro. Let me get you straight. The kingdom of God is not acquired by your actions or your piety, but by being born again. And so I've wrestled with this for years. And so praise God, I get to study it now. Being born again, maybe you already knew this, but it just means the translation is being born of heaven, right? Born of heaven. We about to take a little dive here into what all that means. So here you have it, a Jewish teacher of the law, uh, Nicodemus, whose whole life has been giving meaning to what he's been able to do outwardly, what he's been able to do ceremonially, what he's been able to do from a legalistic standpoint. And Jesus comes and says, actually, it's about being born again. And I think that's a word for us, too, because I think, man, we can um, look the part we can read the part, we can dress the part, we can memorize the part, we can quote the part. Um, we can think we kind of first in line to meet the Messiah. If we're not careful, if we're not care careful. Nicodemus would have been a picture of what 
um, holiness should have looked like back then. But Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, is, Jesus challenges Nicodemus' view of salvation. And that's a word for us believers. Don't think because we know a confession or a creed or theology, that's simply enough to catch all the things of God. It's not. Piety can be where humility goes to die. Yes, I think we can be well-dressed dead people. I think we can be well-spoken vipers. And I think we can be well-behaved sinners, quite frankly, right? Um, Nicodemus now thinks Jesus is talking about being physically born. So he says, so can I, I'm too old to go back, you know, to the womb and come back out, right? Um, He thinks he's talking about a physical birth. He can't enter his mother's womb a second time. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there is much debate about what it means to be born of water and spirit. And so I won't stay here too long, but I just want to give you uh, the different views because maybe you're like, well, yeah, I don't really know what that means either. And tell me the views. And so I'm going to tell you the views. And there are a couple that uh, reasonable minds just disagree on. And, and maybe you'll say, Lance, I like this one better. So view number one, um, this is where the Old Testament Um, often use water metaphorically in order to symbolize a spiritual cleansing. You see this in Numbers, Isaiah, Psalms, Jeremiah, Zechariah, right? So forth and so on. Um, In the Old Testament, God's spirit represents God's life. God promised that he would pour out his spirit on people like water. That's Isaiah and Joel, right? So the, the result of the outpouring of God's spirit would be a new heart, on those whom the Spirit came. That's Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Thus, the revelation that God would bring cleansing and renewal like water by means of or affected by his Spirit was clear in the Old Testament. So this is kind of what Nicodemus kind of should have been reading, right? Um, Jesus evidently meant that unless a person has experienced a spiritual cleansing or renewal, or empowerment from God's Spirit. He or she cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? First, first uh, Corinthians 6.11, and some of you used to be like, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there's that, that metaphor and that language again. Right? So there's many instances in the Old Testament where water is used metaphorically as a cleansing agent. So kind of keep that view in mind. Another view proposed by scholars is that water is an allusion to the amniotic fluid uh, in which a fetus develops in its mother's womb. Uh, So water just simply means born of a natural birth. So view one is it's a spiritual cleansing and a spiritual renewal because water represented that in the Old Testament. Uh, View two is that you just born out of amniotic fluid. And there was some other commentary too, but I won't share that. Share that with a few of the guys. I won't share that here. The third view is that water refers to the written word of God, right? And so where you would see this is in Ephesians chapter 5 when it says, husbands love your wives, yada, 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 uh, by washing her with the word, right? So some people take it as like the water means the word of God, right? And then the fourth view, 
Uh, Water is an allusion to water baptism and the spirit referring to the Holy Spirit. So essentially, like you got to be born of a baptism and then the spirit descends on you. So that's the last view that I'm going to share with you. Uh, So we got a spiritual uh, and renewal and cleansing. We have a water baptism. We have a water birth and we have the water representing the word of God. You got them? Just ask me later. So my personal view is view one, a spiritual cleansing and renewal, right? Water is used as a metaphor here. I take this view for two reasons, two reasons. Jesus rebukes Nicodemus in verse 10 for being a teacher of Israel, but missing the truth. And the second reason I take this, uh, with the help of my lovely wife, is in the Greek, there is no definite article in this sentence Um, And the preposition of, of is a preposition, I guess, y'all, is for both water and spirit. So they're kind of one and the same, right? So one could say that um, they have the same meaning grammatically. So if it means by spiritual renewal, not a physical birth, and dare I say not even an ethnic birth that can place someone in the kingdom of God, then I think that's good news. I think that's good news, right? And it is not lost on me, um, and I talked to Pastor Michael about this earlier, that as I give this sermon about Jesus having a conversation with a Jewish man who would have had everything at his fingertips to know God and to see God, um, that there are friends of ours who um, are facing death right now. There are Jewish people facing death death right now. Um, And my heart breaks for those people. I was watching a story earlier this week uh, where a lady um, was giving a story to the news about how her husband was kidnapped in the middle of the night. A Jewish lady, a lady in Israel, her husband was kidnapped in the middle of the night, um, but the baby was still kind of asleep, and she doesn't know where her husband is right now. And so I think um, my heart is this, Man, I want, pe- I want people to stop fighting, A, by, by God's grace. And two, man, I want to see people come to Jesus no matter where you at. And that's kind of where I'm at, y'all. Um, you know, I believe that uh, God is doing a work in people even still. Um, but, man, I want to see people come to Jesus, and I want to see people treated humanely. How about that? Amen. Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27 just to think about this spiritual cleansing. This is, the, this is, the, this is the, um, the view that I chose. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So here's what I see even in the Old Testament. The covenant God of Israel tells his people that he's in covenant with them, that their purification will come. It is from God that their new hearts will come, and he will place his spirit within them. I call this a transcendent transaction, right? The spirit of God in us brings about worship and obedience that we give back to him, right? 
Water in the Old Testament signified a spiritual cleansing and a spiritual renewal. Numbers 19.19, the one who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third day and the seventh day. So this is like a process uh, for cleansing, right? Uh, after he purifies the unclean person on the seventh day, the one being purified must wash his clothes and bathe in water, and he will be clean by evening. So you had like a, like a process for cleansing, right? Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. Until the spirit from on high is poured out on us, then the desert will become an orchard, and the orchard will seem like a forest. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness, and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe, secure dwellings. That's good news, right? Not just for them, but for all of the people. So if you're here and you're looking to get right with God, good news, you can't. Yeah, I just said that. You can't, you can't get right with God, right? Um, at least not on your own terms. God is not only the hero, Jesus is not only the hero of the Bible story, but of your story, right? In the Old Testament, the Lord is pouring out his spirit onto the people, it was the Lord breathing life into Adam, right? It was the Spirit of the Lord that hovered above the surface of the waters. Before that, it was just void, empty, and desolate, and deep and dark. But when the Spirit shows up, yeah, it becomes something, right? You get water, right? That's good news for the believer who says, man, I don't know how to like, make this thing work like it should. Well, you know what? It's the Spirit's job. Submit to the Spirit. Trust the Spirit, right? And if you're here today and you're like, I don't even have a Christian background. What am I supposed to do here? Like, I don't know the, the law or the Bible or how all this stuff is supposed to work. Well, um, that's okay too, because it's not about what you know, right? We're talking about being born of heaven, not born of an earthly precedent, right? So I'm going to tie my first point and my second point together. So God is not looking for religious experience. He's looking for a spiritual birth. And point two, Jesus is the beginning of our spiritual birth and our entrance into the kingdom of God. Verse 14 through 18. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here it is. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. One of the reasons I think Jesus is responding to a spiritual cleansing, as we discuss, comes from Ezekiel 38. Jesus refers to Nicodemus as being a teacher of the law which would have been in the Old Testament, right? So Nicodemus was probably charged with keeping the Old Testament ceremonies and religiosity, right? Jesus here continues to reference the Old Testament with the story of Moses in the wilderness lifting up the snake in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. 
Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. This is where God's people are in the wilderness. Uh, They're starting to complain, kind of like how God's people do, and they get bit by snakes, and people are starting to die. But the Lord tells Moses uh, to do something about it. He provides a way to save their life. Then they set out from Mount Hor, by which they, by way of the Red Sea, to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, right? Uh, Why have you led us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes amongst the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. The bronze serpent was a picture of a life-saving provision by God, i.e., it was some version, a smaller version of a small s salvation, but a greater deliverance from the snake's bite, which ultimately needed for the people. True deliverance through Christ over sin and death not just a snake bite, right? So don't miss uh, the Jesus is the one and only means of salvation, right? Uh, The Lord could have provided many ways to deliver his people back then, but he gave Moses a specific way of doing things, right? If you look at God's people in the Old Testament, usually God is pretty specific in what he needs to go down so people will live, right? No, I need you to put blood on the door frame. Mm, maybe. No, put blood on that door frame. No, look at this, 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 this bronze serpent that I'm holding up. No, I need you to do this. When you go make purification for the people, you priest, uh, every year, there's a certain way you got to do it, right? Like, you got to go through the process. If you want to know that process, I recommend a song by Shaolin called uh, High Priest. Best thing you ever heard rap-wise. But in all seriousness, though, like God was very particular with his means of salvation to the people. It wasn't like, ah, whatever. No, he was pretty particular. And so Jesus is particular, right? Jesus is particular. Our spiritual renewal begins with us making Jesus the central figure of not only our salvation, but of our life. For it is the Holy Spirit's calling us to remember all that Jesus told us to do and what he taught. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. That's the Holy Spirit's role in those disciples and in us as disciples to remember what Jesus did because he's the beginning of our spiritual renewal. Our spiritual renewal and purification does not begin with us, but with God in heaven which Jesus executed by means of the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do you know where it comes from or where it goes? So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. One commentator put it this way. Nicodemus needed spiritual life. He needed to experience the new birth. He had evidently viewed acceptance by God like so many of the Jewish contemporaries did. If so, though that his heritage, ancestry, his position, and his works, he thought that was what made him right, was adequate to get him to the kingdom, made him acceptable in God's eyes. He had to realize he needed a complete spiritual cleansing and renewal, which only God could provide by his spirit. Likewise, today, most people are relying on themselves, who they are, who they are, what they have done for the acceptance of God. They, too, need to know that they need spiritual cleansing and life that only God can provide. They must be born again. There is no hope for entering God's kingdom. And so the idea here is that if we rely on our flesh, on our own actions, you can't go from flesh to spirit simply with flesh. It takes the supernatural to meet the natural so the natural can dwell with the supernatural. That's like theology math, I guess. But my human natural self can't dwell with the supernatural just from the natural. I need some intervention. Yeah, I need an intervention, right? And so Jesus is that intervention of like 100% God, so he's got the supernatural part, 100% man, so he knows what it's like to cry and to grieve and to hurt and to bleed. So he takes me and says, hey, I'm holy, you're not, but I can still touch you because you're human, and so I'm going to bring you into holy, I'm going to bring your humanness into my holiness. So that's, a that's Jesus, right? That's the role of Jesus, right? Because I can't just walk up on God all by myself because... I can't. You can't. I don't know. Moses couldn't, right? You know? Um, but Jesus is everything that God is. He is God, right? The I am. And we, can, we were able to touch him. Not us, but they were able to touch him, feel him, walk with him, eat with him, right? He touched unclean and made it clean. We don't have that effect, right? Right? And furthermore, Nicodemus Missed a lot of stuff that Jesus was telling them. Verses 12 and 13. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So this is pretty sobering to Nicodemus, right? Jesus pretty much tells Nicodemus that he is from heaven. You and some of your partners, he's, I'm, I'm being Jesus talking to Nicodemus. You and some of your partners, your fellow Pharisees, struggle with what I'm showing you now. And you can't confirm this stuff by going to heaven and figuring it out. But I'm from heaven. I'm giving you the truth, and you're still struggling with that truth, right? I'm the embodiment of abundant life. I'm the embodiment of spiritual renewal, not what this thing you're looking for, a religious experience. There's more good news. This spiritual renewal, like we talked about, isn't just for the people that would have been able to read the Old Testament scripture. It's for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Right? And we see this in scripture, right? Uh, Paul talks about it. Romans 1.16 
The gospel is the power to all who believe, first the Jew, then the Gentile, right? And I would even, I'm going to argue this, this was even taking place in the Old Testament, right? Like we saw people who weren't born of a people, Israel, entered the kingdom of God, right? Melchizedek was called the priest of God, most high, from Salem. He was a Canaanite, that's Genesis 14, 18. Lost my place there for a second, guys. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Melchizedek, right, uh, was a Canaanite. So that's good news for us because we don't have to be Israel, right? When Moses led the people out of Egypt, a mixed multitude went, th- went with them. Exodus 12, 38, um, there was a mixed multitude. Uh, Egyptians and perhaps other nationalities who had been dwelling in Egypt, who now feared the Lord and joined themselves with Israel as God-fearing people. They were included from that point on. They married into the family of Israel, and their their descendants were eventually given a portion of the promised land with everyone else, right? Uh, Moses married Zipporah, right? Daughter of the priest of Midian, Jethro. Zipporah and her father were both Gentiles. Zipporah was resistant to the ordinance of circumcision at first, and for this reason, God almost killed Moses. But she did obey, and he let Moses go. Later, her father Jethro confessed that Yahweh was greater than all the other gods, offered sacrifices to him. He ate with the leaders of Israel before God in full fellowship with God's people. Let's get to Rahab, right? Rahab confessed that the God of Israel was the Lord and gave aid to the spies in Joshua 2. She married into the family of Israel and was in direct line of Jesus himself. Ruth, the Moabitess, was an Israelite woman, um, and she was Jesus' grandmother. And so was Rahab, right? God has always been in the business of bringing people to himself. Eric Mason put it this way. He made a people from all people. He made a people from all people, right? And so we see that God is looking for a spiritual birth, not a religious experience. We see that Jesus is the beginning of our spiritual birth and our entrance to the kingdom of heaven. God made, God is making a people out of all people, right? And my last point is this. Jesus is at the center of every person's eternal judgment. Verses 19 to 21. This is the judgment. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus again. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. I think Jesus is giving Nicodemus a picture of the human condition. We love darkness. We gravitate towards sin. Verse 21 says, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, meaning the default starting position is darkness because we have to be brought to the light. We come to the light. And so for Nicodemus, that means, bro, you need the light too. This is where everyone's need for the gospel comes into play. You can't be saved by your heritage, nor your hands. You can't be saved by your actions, nor your attitude. Right? The only way a person can be saved is by placing their faith in Jesus. I'm going to cite the text. For God so loved the world in this way. 
He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is God. He is the only son of his kind from the Father. He is the place where we find fellowship with God for all of eternity. It's not our natural heritage that's going to lead us out of darkness into the light. It's not our disposition that's going to cleanse us of our sin. If it was some of that, if it was our circumstances, I mean, Adam and Eve had great circumstances. They walked with God in the cool of the day, but yet they still fell into sin, right? So you can't even set our lives up in such a way where it's like, man, I'm walking with God. I don't need redemption. No, you do. We do. We do. We need redemption, right? Left up to us, we would choose sin. Our hearts are selfish. But the Spirit of God, when we are born of heaven, by placing our faith in Christ Jesus alone, when we lift him up as the means of our salvation and life, we can walk in the light. Because Jesus is the light, and darkness has not and will not ever overcome that light. When we are born of heaven, born of the Spirit, we profess faith in our Lord Jesus as Romans 10, 9 tells us, and watch the Spirit work and walk us into the light. John 5, 22, 24 reads, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. There you go. Moses held up the serpent, the bronze serpent, and said, look at this, and you'll, it'll save your life. God the Father is lifting up Jesus for the whole world to see, from Ethiopia to the East End. Look at Jesus. We must be born of heaven, not of ourselves. Jesus is ready to cultivate a people, not simply born of a nation, but a people born of heaven in a new kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word um, has just encouraged some folk today. Father, we can't get it right on our own. Father, it's not our religious background. It's not our cultural standing. It's not our heritage, Father, but you are looking to make and always have made a people, a kingdom of people from all people. And Jesus is at the centerpiece. He is the cornerstone of all of it, Lord. So as we, your church, your bride, come together and, and close out this worship service, may we be reminded that it's all about Jesus. It's his life that was given for us because we couldn't live the life that you set for us. We died. We deserved to die, but Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve, giving us eternal life for those who place their faith in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.